Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I am your host, Hillary Jones. So last week, I started dipping into something that has freaked me out for a long time, which is making a video. And if you are a longtime listener, you've probably heard me talk at some point about how I just learned how to record and use Logic for this podcast. That means like in January 2020. And I do all the editing for better or for worse, which you have heard. Uh, But I learned that. And that really gave me the confidence. And by learned, I mean like I have a minimal amount of knowledge, but that gave me the confidence to try and learn how to do video a little bit. So right now I have one super short video up there on Facebook and Instagram. Literally, I had to learn to make the video, edit it, and splice it together with music. It is not fancy and it is short, but it is a nice little test and it made me feel good about it. So I'm hoping to add more probably a combination of videos of like riffs and maybe short demos and maybe me talking about some of the stuff I cover in the podcast. We'll see how it goes. If you want to check out the midriff Instagram, Facebook, social media business, you can be the judge. But as our guest Mona Tavakuli says in our interview today, anything that I've ever been good at, I've been terrible at first. So speaking of that interview, it was it was truly hilarious. Mona's hilarious. I was laughing the entire time. Mona is a serious badass. She kills it on the drum kit, also on the cajon, and she even has her own signature cajon by LP. No big deal. Don't worry about it. She co-directs the Rock and Roll Camper Girls in L.A. She has played with her band Raining Jane, with Jason Mraz, with Ebby, who she describes as the Iranian Elvis. Pretty amazing. Anyway, she's great and has a ton of awesome stories to share as well. You're going to love it. Watch out. Here's Welcome to Midriff. Woo-hoo! Ow! Cool. Pump it up. Pump it up. So happy to be here. Yes. So happy that you're here. So can you introduce yourself, give folks uh, your name, your pronouns, and a little bit about yourself and your background with music? Yes. My name is Mona Tavacoli. My pronouns are she and her. And I started playing drums when I was 11 in sixth grade band. Then I went to high school marching band, orchestra, pet band, did all that. Natural progression. Natural progression. Then I went to UCLA and I was in the marching band there. Did you have a particular instrument you were? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, I really wanted to play. In high school, I was playing the quads, you know, the four mm-hmm. tenor drums. So I went into college thinking, oh, maybe, you know, I could work my way up to tenors or something. But I slipped right into the cymbal line. So. Ah. That was a big change for me, but it was really cool because there was like a lot of choreography. That does seem especially expressive. Yes. Yeah. It was. Yes. And I loved the camaraderie of the drumline and it was a really beautiful thing to experience at a big, like a pack, pack 10. I think it's pack 12 now, but at the Mm. time it was pack 10. And then I transitioned into being the mascot at UCLA which is another story for another time. I want that story all the time, always. <laughs> but what was cool was once I was in the mascot suit, because I knew the marching band, I could go jam with the drummers and they'd give me their drums and I could cruise around the Rose Bowl and, and play drums. So I continued playing drums. And then I got into a band called Raining Jane mm-hmm. in college. And I'm still in that band 20 years later. And that is some that, real longevity. Yes. Yeah. It's why, like, we're literally married to each other. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, what do you attribute that to? Um, man, I think we just like really grew up together mm-hmm. and every single person in the band is so lovely. 
everybody in the band is like, makes me emotional to think about it, but everyone's so cool and I love their families and we, we really just grew up together. It's deep. Yeah. (laughs) I can, at at that point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And also, you know, I think what helped us stay together also is that we, we started rock and roll camp for girls LA together. Mm -hmm. And so then our purpose sort of shifted from like playing music and shows and trying to sell merchandise and record to then using all the skills and the friendship and the community to then create a space for other people to have that. Mm-hmm. Right. 100%, so yeah. we had, we had a real like opportunity to, to share what we get to have in our little unit with a lot more people. So I think that keeps us going too. Cause we know that our purpose doesn't, isn't to like hustle and like try to make a living. It's also to like share a beautiful thing with people. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> I know it's so cheesy. It's, it's only a little cheesy, but also <laughs> nice, but it's sincere. I promise yeah. you it's sincere. I never doubted it. Yeah. Sincere <laughs> is nacho cheese. <laughs> Where do you go from there, Dr. J? Where do you go from there? I got nothing. I need some more cheese analogies, I guess. <laughs> oh, Where... don't even get me started because in high school, at Leland High School, the years that I was in the marching band, some my best friends and I started a cheese club. Wow. Let me wow you with this. Are you ready? Tell me more. All of us had a cheese name and my name was Mona Ture Jack Cheese. <laughs> Thank you and good night. What do you think your cheese name would be? God, this is a really like high stress question. <laughs> Listen, and I'm not even, me. I'm not even like, I'm, I'm not, I'm interviewing you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's reel Let's reel it back in. <laughs> All right. Great. Cool. All right. So, um, so you were talking about camp. So, yeah. uh, and you're running virtual camp this year. Yeah. We just did it for the first time. Tell me all about it. First of all, for, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that Hillary Jones, you used to be the director of the Rhode Island, the Providence camp. Yeah. And you are now the doctor of medical doctor. No, you are. <laughs> That's right. Come to me with all of your uh, COVID needs. I'm the doctor of philosophy. See? Dr. Philosophy. <laughs> See? Good. I'm learning too. I'm learning today. I- Anyway, so, so yeah, so you have a virtual camp. Right. Tell us about so virtual we've camp. Done, essentially, we've done 10 seasons of summer camp, rock and roll camp for girls, Los Angeles, summer camp in person. We do usually like two weeks of camp and then we'd have, we also have a music video program. Which is amazing. It's amazing. Led by this amazing camera woman named Abby Lene and she's so talented and she's, she just recruits the most incredible people in the industry, like women. And it's a really special program. So this summer, as you know, we quickly realized, okay, we're probably not going to be able to meet in person. And it's like, how are you supposed to to have kids collaborate and write a song together over zoom? It felt really impossible. And so we spent like six weeks trying to create a program So we had already had like 90 campers signed up for summer camp. And then we were like, okay, well, we have to, we have to figure out how to do this. So we decided, okay, we'll do like a two hour camp as opposed to a all day camp. And we'll try to figure out a way where the campers could be together and support each other, but not have to create something at the same time together. Mm -hmm. So we divided camp up into three weeks. First week was instrument instruction. Second week was songwriting. And the third week was recording. And it was all about the individual expression. And then we would put the bands into the bands. We'd put the campers into huddles as opposed to bands. And in the huddles, they would talk about the workshop that they just had, or they would process what they learned in drum class or most of the camper. I would say like 40% of the campers didn't have gear. So Mm. we offered, um, to get them gear. So we were, so the first week of instrument instruction, you know, we got gear to campers and then, and it was, it was beautiful. It was challenging because there's so many in-person perks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just like we have a high five tunnel every morning and we sing the theme song and 
put our arms around each other and there's so much touching I realize <laughs> so that's like what that sounds awkward but you know just like no there's a lot of t- so many high yeah, fives so it's many a lot high yeah fives. it's just you know and honestly this is a weird thing to say but I miss the smells of rock camp I just miss oh. like the the hot pizza coming in <laughs> for lunch yep I just I miss it all so yeah that was the first week. Second week was songwriting and, um, songwriting. The idea was the instrument is you. And so we did a lot of like reflection and writing and, mm. and then the third week was recording and we used a interface called band lab, which you oh, I've play, heard about that. Yeah. Which was great. There's no paywall. So we knew that the campers, if they're using their iPhone or they're using a iPad and different devices and yeah, so it was great. I mean, this is now <clears throat> I've had a week off of camp and it was 22 days nonstop. We did oh, three weeks man. back to back. So it'd be like training, camp, showcase, training, camp, showcase. But I'm so proud of us. I'm so happy that we did it. We learned so much and it just deepened our operating system. Totally. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. So anything else exciting going on during the pandemic? What's happening in your world? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, things here and there. I mean, Rock Camp took most of my energy and bandwidth because just the planning of it was really, yeah. really intensive. Um, I've had a few gigs like oh, I had cool. like virtual or actual both, both, cool. you know, a lot of like requests for video content and yeah. which has been really exciting because that's, that's not where I've ever spent any time, mm-hmm. but I did do a drive-in concert in June where yeah. 50 cars came into a parking lot and um, I was put into a band with like serious all-stars. It was so cool. And we did just some like classic songs and we didn't, we had a rehearsal over zoom. Oh my God. I just don't know how people do it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. It, but we all came together and, and people were in their cars and it felt like, and we were six, they came with a measuring tape and measured us six feet apart from each other. And wow, it felt like a kind of thing like I felt like I was on the moon or something. Mm-hmm. You just, there's no real feedback. People are honking and flashing their brights and you're like, what, <laughs> what is happening? Wow. Um, I've heard of people uh, of those uh, types of events happening. I haven't been able to attend any, but that sounds super weird and awesome. Yeah. Super weird. And you know, it's also weird because sometimes TV stuff gets recorded a long time before it gets aired. So mm-hmm. I actually, I was on Sesame street in December with obviously, right? I mean, dr- serious dream come true. And it was with, uh, Sarah Bareilles, which is one of my best friends from UCLA. And she had Chaska and I, Chaska is also in raining Jane. Uh, we were her band for the not too late show with Elmo. And that was oh filmed God. in December and it just got aired in July. Oh, I'm going to go watch it. Oh my gosh. It's so precious. It's so precious. <laughs> Sarah does a duet with Big Bird. Oh. Dude, it's so great. I am 100% showing my child this. Yes, today. yes, yes. But it's the kind of thing where, you know, it's fun to feel like there's actual stuff coming out now. Like we recorded an album last August, September with Jason Mraz mm-hmm. and it just came out in July or June. It came out in June. So yeah. There's all this stuff, all this content that we filmed last year that feels like, okay, cool. It actually feels like we're doing stuff kind of. Right. Something's happening, even though things aren't really happening. So let's get into some gear, shall we? Yes, please. Let's, Let's do it. So what was your first experience with gear? When I was 13, Mm -hmm. my parents took me to, I don't think it was guitar. It was like guitar showcase in San Jose. It was like something like a music shop in San Jose to buy my first drum set. And I remember I, my dad was trying to get me to buy a used kit in the, in the paper, San Jose Mercury news. And he was like, let's buy a used kit because he didn't believe that I would continue to play the drums. (laughs) Jokes on you, dad jokes on (laughs) you. But we went and I ended up, ended up getting like the Pearl export kit. Classic, classic, classic. And I really wanted to buy like the Ferrari red, Mm-hmm. I thought it was so cool. And my dad said, that doesn't have a good resale value. So <laughs> he was very... Wait, because it was red? Yeah, but my dad just was convinced that I was going to quit the drums. 
Yeah. So he was already preparing to sell them in the San Jose Mercury <laughs> News. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's some. I mean, I appreciate that he was there to get it for you in the first place, but also yes. uh, maybe not super confident in the so longevity. It, Did you have a history of not following through with uh, new things? Or? Yeah, I think my parents. I mean, I'm, were not, just call, like, I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying. No, no, no. <laughs> that's yeah, very insightful. Um, <laughs> I I wanted to do everything. I was yeah. like, oh, I want to do gymnastics and I want to ice skate and I want to play tennis and I want to be a basketball star. And I want to like, I always was very like, I want to do all the things. And my parents would be like, okay, we're in America. Let's do all the things. Mm-hmm. And so they, they put me in all of it. And then I would always hit a wall. I would always mm-hmm. hit a wall where I'd be like, it would be hard for me or I wasn't natural at it. And so I would be like, mm, I don't want to play tennis anymore. Cause I was like, there's so much running. Oh, man, to the <laughs> who, side. who could have predicted? Honestly, who could have predicted? And it was same with like ice skating was like, I couldn't, I got to a level where I could skate forward and that felt like enough. <laughs> once, <laughs> once it was backward stuff, I was like, no, I feel like, I feel like I did ice skating. That was great. You know, and same for the beam or the, sorry, gymnastics, you know, like yeah. I could, I could walk the beam. And then once I fell on my crotch and I was like, I feel like I've, that's enough gymnastics. You know, so the drum, the drums and basketball ended up Mm -hmm. being the two things that they actually didn't have to sign me up for. I, I pursued Mm -hmm. myself and then really, I loved them both. And either I was going to be in a rock band and tour the world, or I was going to be the first woman in the NBA. Yeah. And we all know how the five, two story ends, you know, you're a, It's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that it's not possible. True. Well, the WNBA hadn't, it wasn't around it yet. It didn't exist. Yeah. I didn't right. have, you know, I didn't know it was possible, but mm-hmm. this is great. Now I know I was a, a quitter growing up. That's I... <laughs> thanks for the clarification. Aren't you glad you came here? <laughs> yeah. This has been great. You're welcome. Doctor of psychiatry, perhaps Next. psychology, actually. Oh, psychology. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Anyway. Yes. Yes. Psychology. Amazing. You said philosophy. So I I, said, I mean, that's what they call a PhD as a doctor of philosophy. Oh, but technically it's in psychology. Incredible. I'm learning so much. Thank you for having me. We're, we're, we're learning together. This is a learning space. Thanks for being here. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So that was your first drum kit. That was my first year. And I still have that drum set. And I've donated it to Rock Camp, so I get to see it every summer. That's camp. amazing. So the, um, it, and, and is, it, is it? Wait, did you end up getting the red kit then, or not? No, I dude. Like... No, it was black. <sighs> yeah, but don't worry. Since then, I've had a. I have a sparkle kit now. I have mm-hmm. a black matte kit. Wait, tell I me have... about. Tell me about those kits. I want more. Mm. I mean, I want the colors. That is probably the most important thing. But right. you know, I guess other things are important too. I am craving like a really vibrant kit, but mostly I play cajon now or percussion, you know, mostly in the gigs Mm -hmm. that I have, I'm playing mostly percussion, but, um, the sparkle kit actually is an amazing story because I was using this export kit Mm -hmm. and around 2004, raining Jane started, we started booking our own tours Mm -hmm. and we were touring colleges around the U S of a, and I realized, you know what, I got to save up and buy a new kit because mm-hmm. I think we're like we're professional touring musicians now. The Pearl Export maybe isn't the road warrior that one might anticipate it. <laughs> right, right. And so I, you know, I was like, I gotta, I want to save up and get a DW kit because mm. that was like the dream, like drum workshop. Are you kidding me? And I started, you know, sort of looking around and I got on this gig to do like a women's drum circle CD, CD at the time. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. <laughs> times have changed. But at that time, and it was, it was, it great, was actually an eight track. Yeah, it was with the great Christine Stevens, who's an incredible, uh, hand drummer and percussionist facilitator. Mm. And, um, I ended up meeting an awesome woman named Cynthia who was playing flute on the gig and we're talking and I'm telling her about my dream kit. And she's like, DW. And I'm like, yeah, she's like, Oh wow. So let me reverse a little bit okay. for, for my birthday that same year. My best friend, Chaska, who's in Raining Jane, mm-hmm. organized a fundraiser for me. And this is before like Kickstarters and GoFundMes and all that stuff. And she sent 
a letter to all my people, like got my address wow. books, sent letters, and then everybody like contributed. And on my birthday, my mom and dad had gotten me a suitcase for tour because it was our big first big tour. Mm-hmm. And they got me a suitcase and Chas goes, your gift is inside. And I unzip the suitcase and it's like 75 letters. And I opened one. Oh it was God. like for your dream drum kit. Oh my God. I cried and cried. And it was like the craziest people contributed. It was like, not just my best friends and my parents. It was like my best friend's parents and my oh, friend, wow. my friend who was in dental school's friends that I'd met. Like, here's five bucks. Like get your dream drum kit, whatever. Oh my God. Anyway, I have chills. It was like one of the most incredible moments of my life. Then I'm telling this story to Cynthia at the dr- the women's drum circle CD recording. Mm-hmm. And she goes, Oh my God, DW. That's amazing. I'm not going to give you money, but I know somebody who works there. Perfect. And I ended up meeting the most incredible person. And she gave me a tour of the, I got a tour of DW and she like helped me find and pick my dream drum set. Oh, it was like full circle dream. Wow. Yeah. That's and I, so... I still use that kit. What yeah. a great story. Oh my gosh. God. And now I'm an, I'm endorsed by DW in Latin percussion, which is under the same house. I mean, can you believe that? I'm going to, I'm going to burst into tears yeah. and cry all over this microphone. Dude, dude. That's wild. It is wild. It's wild. Yeah. And they are a family run company and they're so good to their artists and they're so oh. good to their employees. And it's, they're down, they're like an hour away from me in Oxnard, California. I mean, it's yeah. Total dream come true. That's amazing. And a testament to how many people love you. Cute. Mm. I'll take right? it. Yeah. <laughs> no, there I mean, go. that's beautiful. Thank you. for yeah. I, mean, I feel very lucky. Yeah. That's great. And congratulations on inventing Kickstarter. you're a delight Ah, right back at you my friend (laughs) (laughs) all right so we've got this drum kit yeah you've got your your dream drum kit yeah tell me about your your cajon tell me about it so um quick story about the cajon was when i was at ucla i took a flamenco dance class and remember i told you previously i was a basketball player yes I had some, these are connected. These are connected. Very slow runner. Part of the reason why I have it band syndrome, iliotibial band syndrome, which means the it band is like that, that, uh, connector from your hip to your knee, knee to your ankle. It's like a very dense, um, line there and mine are very tight. So Hmm. what happens is when I'm exercising a lot or running, they agitate the patella Mm. science, everyone. Yes. So, um, I have some knee knee stuff. So I'm doing flamenco. There's a lot of pounding with Mm -hmm. the flamenco heels. And I realize I'm inflamed that old injury is getting inflamed. Mm -hmm. And I tell my teacher, I say, you know, I love this class. I love the music, but I'm hurting my knee. I want to finish out the quarter. Is there, can I, is there any way I can play drums or percussion and accompany the class instead? And she was like, yes, I bring the box. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and this is Liliana de Leon Torcielo, my hero. I love her so much. She introduced me to the Cajon in 1999 and she brought it to me and she goes, okay, all the rhythms you were playing in your feet, I want you to now put into your hands. You so it. I got to like get a full, like a traditional Spanish training basically in, in Cajon. Now, none of us knew how to play it. Right. But I was able to, her husband was the guitarist in the class, Peter. Oh, okay who's an incredible guitarist. And so between the two of them, they sort of helped shape my experience on the Cajon. Mm-hmm. And then quickly she was like, you should be in my dance company and come play Cajon. And sometimes you can get up and dance with us. And it was so cool on the job training into flamenco rhythms. Yeah. That's amazing. And then two girls came to a recital of the flamenco class and they saw me play Cajon. They found out what dorm I lived in came and found me and said, hi, are you the girl that was playing the box? (laughs) And I was like, yes. And they said, do you also play drums? I was like, yes. Also, who are you? (laughs) And they're like, you know, we're Amy and Jessica and we're going to start a girl band. Do you want to be our drummer? And I was like, what? (laughs) Those two girls are not in the band anymore, but they are the ones who started this group. Nice. That was originally called Chrysalis that became Raining Jane. Mm -hmm. And that was like in college. Wow. Totally wild. So the Cajon adventure began with flamenco 
And then when Raining Jane started actually playing, the girls from my birthday bought me a cajon and said, can you see if you can adapt it to pop music, you know, mm. our, our folk, folk jams. And nobody mm. was playing the cajon at that time. It was 20 years ago. Right. And so every time I would play it, people would be like, what? They'd lean in. They'd be like, what is that? And did you make that? Did you invent that? And I was like, no. And then I could tell people, like, educate them on, this is from Cuba and Peru. And it came mm-hmm. to Spain from Paco de Lucia. And it felt like a real part of my story of sitting on this box. Mm-hmm. We just started touring and it became a bigger and bigger part of the show. It'd be like one song. I'd come to the front and do it. Then it became two, three, four, half the set became Cajon songs. Mm-hmm. And then I, I would start getting hired to play Cajon. And then, you know, I ended up meeting this man named Michael Cotson, who is a mm-hmm. beautiful craftsman of the Cajon. And he reached out to me and said, Hey, I'd love to do a signature Cajon with you. So he helped me develop my first signature drum. and then. Years later, you know, I got signed to LP and they said, we'd love to do a signature drum with you too. And, and then I got to, with them, design another drum. And so it's called the empty box, which it's literally an empty box, but my initials are M and T. I get it. Thank you so much. Thank you for getting it (laughs) because it's so important to me that you get it. (laughs) I'm here with you. So I've been, um, what I really wanted to do with the Cajon with both with both Michael and LP was create a cajon that when people sat on it, they got those tones like mm. rich bass and the, the snap of the snare, because I was trying to replicate a drum set, you know? Right. I wasn't trying to play Peruvian style cajon. I was trying mm. to make a cajon that replicated a drum set because that's, that was the perspective I was coming from. And what does that take? Like, like in construction, how does one do that? Well, you know, a lot of the flamenco cajones have strings in them. Mm-hmm. Peruvian usually don't have strings in them. Mm-hmm. The, the signature part of my cajon is really like there's three holes on the side. Yeah. And the idea behind that, it's beautifully, it's beautiful aesthetically, but it was that I wanted to have a lot of bass. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, maybe if I designed the output part, like a subwoofer, right? maybe like the low end will have a bigger hole and... I don't know the physics of like hitting a drum and like letting the sound vacillate between the two sides and then it comes out. Right. Yeah. So that was the idea. Honestly, I don't know if that, that is the case. When you, when you mic it, how does that work? I mic it in two places. I put yeah. a, like a beta. I guess that, that was sort of my follow-up question. To yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, I put a, a bass drum mic mm-hmm. inside of the drum. Mm-hmm. So right now I use a Shure 91 on the mm-hmm. inside of it. And then I use like a 57 on the middle hole. So it's sort okay. of pointing, pointing towards the strings. Yep. And if I'm in a studio setting and there's like endless inputs, I would put also a 57 on the front. That's not in the way of my feet and my hands Yep. because I do a lot of footwork Up on, on top. Foot. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I would also put like an, a, a room mic. Room mic. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever do like a piezo or contact mic? How does that work with that? You know, that's too, there's too much going on. That makes like sense. Like it doesn't like, <laughs> and you know, we've tried so many I'm things. I'm sure. Yeah. We've tried like putting a wireless on the, one of the holes and like clipping mm-hmm. it on and like, so I can like walk around the stage and move it. But that the two mic for live is so baller. It's nice. so, I get that nice low end and I can also get the rattle of the snare. And honestly, like I think the LP Cajon that I use, it's really mid gets a lot of mid range, mm-hmm. which I think actually works when I'm in a full band setting mm-hmm. because the kick in the snare is already, that space is taken up by the drum, play, the drum right. set player. So then for me to have some mid tones on the cajon really serves it. I'm so happy with the tone and I feel like that's my sound and mm, I want it. Perfection. Do you know what I'm saying? And I truly feel <laughs> like I feel so lucky that, that we mm-hmm. found the right recipe for me to have, and it's so affordable. The Cajon, Cajons range from like $99 to $800. And this mm-hmm. one's $149. That is very reasonable. And I can play it, you know, in the studio. I can play it on Sesame Street. I can play mm-hmm. it at the uh, Hollywood Bowl. I can play it in my living room yep. for nobody. For yourself. Yeah, totally. You're not nobody. Thank you. I am somebody. <laughs> this has been a great self-esteem session. Thank you so much. <laughs> I want to know what your experience 
has been like around like gender identity stuff here? Like how has that played out? You know, I think sort of like growing up, it always felt uncomfortable to go into music shops or even, I don't know, identify as a female drummer. And I think a lot of times people would be like, oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But like, are you allowed to do that? Culturally, you know, it's definitely like my parents were very confused as to why I chose that instrument and very confused how I like kept playing it and Uh decided to pursue any, I studied economics at UCLA. So (laughs) for them, it was just extremely confusing, but I just loved, it was more than just like expression. It was about connection. Like I Mm -hmm. loved that I could connect with other people and build something. I loved that I could play the thing and invite people to a room and we could like have a shared experience. Mm -hmm. I loved that once I got into percussion, I could facilitate a a group of people doing that thing together. Mm -hmm. I think I just community is so, so, so important to me. And it felt like the drums became a vehicle for community and connection. So then being in an all female band, you know, came with its own set of experiences of like trap, just the four of us traveling in a van and trailer and going from venue to venue and, and experiencing all sorts of misogyny, (laughs) you know? Um, but I feel like because we were all there together and we were all on the same page about it, it just was like a, yeah, what, whatever. Yeah. And, And it actually kind of worked to our advantage because all of a sudden in the college markets, they were like, we got booked a lot in March and we were like, oh, yeah, hmm, yeah, yeah. Hmm, what is that? What's yeah. happening? <laughs> it's like Women's History Month. Uh huh. Let's invite the girl band, you know? Mm-hmm. And we were, I mean, we were down. We're like, yes, let us be representatives of like what's possible. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt really proud of our, our stamp on that time, you know? Yeah. Really. I mean, there weren't, we were using MapQuest and like printing out the maps. Yep. I remember that time. It was so crazy, (laughs) dude. It's such a new day. You know, like if we had to like reorder merch, it was like, oh my gosh, get to the hotel phone. And you know, it's like the very early stages of cell phone. I know it sounds like we're very old people, but I mean, (laughs) we are, it's fine. We're we're only medium old. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. Wait, we how, had, wait, wait, how old are you? I'm 42. I'm 40. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right in there. So much older than you. So much. I've got so much <sighs> to learn. Yeah. Let me, let me take you under my 42 year old <laughs> wings. But I, you know, I, I do feel like my gender has, it's been a great asset and I, I feel like there's been challenges, but I feel like so happy that there were two people that wanted to start an all-female band. I feel like the sisterhood and the communication that occurred and the tenderness that was involved in being with other women like that growing up, I loved it. I loved Mm -hmm. it so much. And then once we we started working with Jason Mraz in 2007, Mm -hmm. he's such a gentle man. And it was so cool to have the experience of our like nest sort of, like our reigning Jane world is so loving and supportive and communicative. And then to have a guy like that to sort of enter our womb, if you will, it's been really beautiful. It's that can, I mean, that feels like a really natural place to be us five. And he's always been so proud to have women in the front. Yeah. That feels really important to him. It just feels like we've had really great experiences And, you know, in the past, yes, there were a lot of challenges, but now I feel like it's just different now. Yeah, it's interesting. And I wonder, like, I feel like there's this interesting thing where obviously the passage of time changes in culture and the things that have changed in the last 20 years or whatever. But also I feel like there's an interesting dynamic where like, you know, when you get to play with people who are a little more popular, Mm -hmm. um, you end up with this being able to curate your experience a little bit more. And so sometimes I wonder how those two things interact with each other. Totally. I'll tell you, I started playing with a very famous Iranian artist named Mm -hmm. Ebi. He is like the Elvis of Iran. Like if you are Iranian, you know who this man is. He's Mm -hmm. like a major pop star. 
And my friend is his production manager. And he said to me, Hey, would you ever, you know, be interested in playing Persian music? I was like, well, I don't play traditional Persian percussion. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, I think just like do what you do and come and let's see if there's like a match there. I was so nervous. Mm -hmm. I was so nervous because, you know, even though I, I love my Iranian culture and I was born in America. And so I don't Mm -hmm. have as deep of a connection to that side of it. And so I came in and, and it was like a really big deal. I was one, he brought in two women to his band and that's the first time oh, wow. women in his band. And the other woman is also Iranian and she's an incredible, she's a master's in piano performance. Like she's brilliant piano player and she also sings. So then we became the backup singers and she was the second keyboard and I was percussion. It was really, really intimidating because it's a very male dominated world. Even mm-hmm. though now I'm like, I'm on stages around the world with Jason and you know, I feel like I'm really like a proud woman playing percussion and I have my own cajon and all this stuff. It mm-hmm. still felt like, oh, am I allowed to inhabit this space? Am I allowed, even though I don't play, I don't play traditional Persian percussion and mm-hmm. I'm not a man. I mean, it just felt like so much stuff came up <laughs> for me. And are people going to judge me because mm-hmm. I'm a woman that spreads her legs on a box right. and goes to town. Yes. I go to town. I I realized like all my like old cultural shame, all my guilt, all like for choosing drums, like all that stuff came up again. And it was Mm. like, okay, I started, you know, the first couple shows I was very nervous. And my aunt told me, she was like, either they're going to love you or they're going to hate you, but you have to do, you have to be you. You have to do the thing that you've been doing for 20 years or it's Mm going to be, what a shame, you know? So I took her advice and I just like went to town and then everything started changing. And I got so much love from my Iranian brothers and sisters. I got so much love and I felt like I got to reintroduce myself to my culture, Mm -hmm. you know? And now I'm like learning so much about Iranians all over the world because he tours all over the world. And we just, the last show I played before quarantine was March 7th in Saudi Arabia. The show was broadcast live in Iran. And I don't know if you know Middle Eastern politics at all, but Saudi Arabia and Iran do not get along. But the idea was, can we bridge the the gap through music? Which I thought was beautiful. Mind you, I'm very naive and don't know a lot about the the history of it. So I know there was a lot of of hurt from Iranian people that we actually did the show. Mm -hmm. But I'm learning a lot (laughs) about it. Um, (laughs) But during the show, Ebby said... You know, he introduced me and the other woman and very proudly. And, and he said, I hope that one day Iranian women can play on stage. And I just teared up and I couldn't, I guess I didn't know that part. Mm -hmm. Women can play music, but they're not allowed to perform live unless they get written permission. And I think it's from the government and the venue. And like, there's all these things and I'm just sitting there on stage thinking to myself, like, what if like my parents didn't move from Iran to the U S right? What if my parents really put their foot down when I was 11 and said, this is not your instrument. You're going to play the flute, which they really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. What if I didn't have enough tenacity to be like, no, I actually, I like want to do this thing. Like who would I be right now? Like, I really don't know. You'd be playing basketball by yourself. <laughs> I'd be the first woman in the NBA. Okay, Hillary? <laughs> That's what I would be. Well, aren't we glad we didn't have that future? <laughs> Honestly, I'm so slow. Let's just be, let's remind everyone here. <laughs> I'm so slow. But it's a really emotional to think that because now I'm playing with the great Ebby that I've gotten to have all this reflection and gotten to connect with my people, you know? That's amazing. Yeah. Never in my life did I think 20 years ago, like, I would have a signature cajon and I'd be running a, a beautiful social justice space with my best friends and I'd be on tour in the Middle East and I'd, you know, I was on Sesame Street. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Gina Davis, somebody tell me. It's really cool. And you know what? And if it ended today, I think I would be like, wow, cool. Now I'm going to start training for the WNBA. You're going to train for the WNBA and also uh, become a professional economist. Thank you. Yes. I mean, that's what the world needs. One more economist. That's right. 
so as far as gear is concerned, so you, you talked about your first experience in purchasing your drum kit yeah. when you were growing up and then getting your next drum kit in those spaces where you're acquiring gear or whatever. And obviously I know you have a lot of sponsorships now too. Yeah. So I'm wondering like what's, what's working, what doesn't, what doesn't work. Like what have you, what's, what's happening? Yeah. I, I, it's really changed for me a lot because I do, I have these great support or supportive yeah. endorsements that are, they're so generous with me and they, so yeah, it's, it's a very, very different experience. I still have to go into guitar center once in a while for rock camp. And in general, um, I've had great experiences. Guitar Center has been such an incredible support, but I've been able to see how they're actually trying to change mm-hmm. the the foundation of how they op- how they operate as customer service representatives. You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, they had like, what do you call those? The when they bring people together, focus group. Mm-hmm. They had a focus group like ten years ago when we were starting Rock Camp. And we got connected to them and they were like, how, how has your experience been as a woman going into guitar center? We were really honest with them and they've been so supportive of girl camps. Did they ever support you guys? We, we had a weird experience with, with someone involved with ours. So we did not make that connection, but I have seen the growth with the company over yeah. the years, yeah. which feels very significant. And I think at first people were just like, I don't know, like right. prove it, prove it. Totally. <laughs> well, they had a, yeah, they had a woman named Laura Taylor who was a, right. She, yeah. And she's no longer with them, but she is still total supporter and advocate for rock and roll camp for girls. And now they have all these women that we're dealing with directly that are in full support mm-hmm. of the opportunities we're trying to create for girls to feel good about themselves. And it's like, put your money where your mouth is and they're doing it. They're doing it for us. So, you know, when I still go, sometimes I feel like, you know, I don't, I don't feel comfortable in those gear shops because they're loud usually Mm. (laughs) with a lot of dudes that just want to (laughs) like shred, you know, Uh for the most part I've had in my more more recent years, it's coming from like a a facilitator of camp, not like I need to buy a piece of gear for myself. So yep. that's been my experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I really do think that like, it's been a really interesting shift to watch over the years as that's been happening. Cause I remember when that first, when the, when their connection with camp first started yeah. and feeling like, I don't know, like, you know, but then I think that really, like, if you look at the marketing and things like that, like it does seem like that, that there is, has been a really concerted effort. I don't know where they're at right now. And I mean, I don't know where anybody is right now, you know, with companies, but like, I have appreciated seeing that at the very least for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you just hope that it's forward. Right. With, with that, I guess when you think about camp and like the, when the campers come in and what are, what do you see as their general like connection to or experience with gear? Well, it's all over the map, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the younger girls, they just want to like hit stuff, just like mm-hmm. go for it. And then as they get older, they get a little bit more self-conscious. Did you have that experience? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. so strange. And like the younger girls want the Daisy Rock guitar. They want the butterfly mm-hmm. in the heart. And then the older girls want like the vintage looking, you know, like this, I, this feels more legitimate instrument. I guess with the tech side of stuff too, it's, we're finding that we want to be able to offer more opportunities for girls to work with the soundboard and mm-hmm. to have more experience with like setting up a PA, right. not being afraid Do you do workshops that. on that? We do. Yeah, we do. We yeah. have an amazing front of house engineer named Allison Smart that actually helped facilitate the recording week for us. Oh, cool. Um, we played games like, what's that sound that she would record from home? It's so good. I mean, these are ways that we made Zoom work for us, you know? Yeah, totally. But, you know, she would show like a console and be like, what do you feel like when you look at this console? And campers mm. would write in the chat like, overwhelmed, scared, like, <laughs> what is it? You know, things like that. And then yeah. she would sort of talk about what are the, once you know kind of these three things on the board, then you'll know every board. Um, we also have like a group of roadies that are phenomenal and it's, you know, of course you've been in the rock camp space, you know it. So it's, it's about seeing women, uh, move gear and set up gear and all that stuff. So I think the tech side or the production side is the part where I feel like I want to expand our program Mm because it feels like there's clearly room for 
you know, gender expansive youth to, to get into it. Yeah. Did you ever do one of those like roadie Olympics? I know some camps do that. No, we haven't either, but I, 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 I am just thinking about it now and how amazing that is. We did a, uh, we did do a Southern California rock camp for girls Olympics. And there were some roadie elements. Yeah. It was like, can you untangle this core cable? And can you, you know, do the wheelbarrow? I don't know. I mean, we did it one time and it was so fun. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I feel like everyone should have a roadie Olympics yeah. because those are some real skills. Honestly, once we can touch each other again. So you had written in your bio uh, that you are, you listen to a lot of Pema Chodron. Yes. So how do you see her teachings slash like general mindfulness slash whatever connected to playing drums or music more broadly. I'm so glad you read that. And I'm so glad you asked. It makes me emotional. I literally like, this is the book that is underneath my. Wow. Comfortable with uncertainty. I mean, it's right here. Yeah. It's anyway. Wow. I love her so much. I actually got to be in person with her last Mm. year at a retreat in Vermont. Yeah, I think it's about presence, being in the present. I think the all of the teachings in this, it's like 108 mm. passages, the greatest hits of Pema Chodron. And, <laughs> you know, when you boil every, every passage down, it's like you're going to be glued and unglued in the present moment, in habits, in frustration, in horror, in <laughs> delight, you know, and like finding the middle path to whatever that is, you know, and there's so many highs and lows being a freelance musician. Oh, so yeah. many highs and lows being a human on planet earth. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. And here we are. Yes. And yeah. here we are. And we're, you know, we're finding like the shitty YouTube comments or like getting to play the Hollywood bowl and like mm-hmm. the diversity of those two experiences and knowing that like, I have to come back to like the center and just keep, I want to play music because it's coming from my heart and soul. Not because I'm on, I'm playing the Hollywood bowl and not because somebody on YouTube thinks I'm terrible. Mm-hmm. It's the finding the middle road and being present in that. And also refraining, refraining from reacting because it's so easy to, when you're a passionate musician or passionate human being, and there's so much garbage happening to want to react quickly. Mm-hmm. And through my, my reading and studying of Pema, it's like, she speaks the language that resonates with me, which is just like refrain mm-hmm. and take a moment and really figure out why you feel that way. So it's helped me a lot. And, and I think in music, it's the same. It's like when you're trying to write a song, for example, it's really easy to be like, well, this is terrible and stop. <laughs> Or we're done. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's yeah. really easy. Yeah. I think going back to the earlier part of the podcast where we were talking about, did you, you know, stop a lot of stuff? Did you quit a lot of things? And yeah, it's true. You know, when things get mm-hmm. hard, it's really easy for me to be like, that's okay. I'm going to go over here. Yeah. But now it's like, this is a life I've chosen and I, I love it. And so how do I keep working through those places where I feel like this is terrible? But any uh-huh. anything that I'm good at, I've always been terrible at. But there, there we go. Yeah, yeah. So you have to be terrible first. You have to be terrible, and I really come mm-hmm. from a beginner perspective too. Of like, mm-hmm. I I'm just going to choose the loving path, and ki- really, truly, kindness has no enemies, and that's that's like a mantra that I live by. Of you know, Dalai Lama says, choose kindness whenever it's possible. It is always possible. So. Blah, 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 hip, dip, city, <laughs> hip, dip, city. <laughs> I, I encouraged it. So yeah. Well, thanks. I, I take responsibility. Do, are that. you down with the Pema or what, what's, uh, I, what's your connection? I, I, I am not a big, like, I'm not, I'm not a mindful person. I have dipped, I have dipped into the Okay. Pema. Put yeah, a toe. I've dipped. Put a big yeah, toe or little, a tiny a, toe? Pinky toe. Uh, medium, medium, little one of the middle toes. Middle toe. Wow. The longest <laughs> one, huh? The long one. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. All right. So what else is coming up for you? Do you have anything else lined up that people need to know about? Yeah. Great question. Well, we do, we're going to probably do like a back backyard show with Ebby, like a live mm-hmm. strand backyard show with Ebby. Nice. We're going to continue. We have, 
we did a pre-recording for like a Kelly Clarkson show with Jason. We're still promoting the new album, which mm-hmm. is cool. All my tours got canceled for the fall. Supposed to be in Australia. No. And yeah, total bombski, but you know. We're going to maybe, I mean, we have a rock camp meeting tomorrow. So we're going to start talking about, can we do a ladies rock camp virtual? Mm-hmm, maybe. Mm-hmm. But just, I want to just keep being a student right now. You know, I yeah. want to keep taking advantage of the time at home, isolated with my gear. I bought a yeah. interface. Oh, cool. And I bought Logic. And hey. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. learning. I'm trying to learn. So I'm just going to try to keep being a student and, mm-hmm. and showing up and, and hopefully, you know, when things start to change that we can just keep rolling into the next discovery. There you go. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like this is such a good time for learning and I feel like it's, it's inspiring to see so many people like living into that a bit, you yeah. know, like where it feels like it's not going to be this time when everyone's just in despair, but it can also be a time of growth a little bit. Totally. You know? Absolutely. That's how I'm trying to look at it at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how can we help uh, folks stay in contact with you, get in contact, learn more? Yeah. Um, you can go to my Instagram page, mm-hmm. Mona underscore Tavacoli. And I have uh, a Twitter account that I barely use. Great. And uh, don't we all? Yeah. You can check out Raining Jane. You can check out anything Jason Mraz since 2014. I'm on mm-hmm. the recording. Yeah. I think that's about it. I have a, a YouTube that maybe has one video on it. You can go like <laughs> It's my favorite video. I, on repeat forever. I did a cajon lesson for Drum Magazine that I'm really proud of. See? Yeah. So if you want to, if you're interested in the cajon, you can go check that out. I did something with TomTom recently. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. Mindy. What? Yes. She's so rad. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just trying to stay busy and promote the box, you know? Always. <laughs> yeah. Always promote the box. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're awesome, Hillary. Glad to be reconnected. You're awesome. Thank you. What a fun interview. Thank you, Mona, for taking the time to chat and discuss all of your NBA aspirations and more. There's still time, buddy. Get in there. You can do it. Uh, I also want to, what seems unrelated, take a moment uh, to say that I am in solidarity with the protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and those around the country. It seems like the news there just keeps getting wilder, and I hope that there's pressure to make some real change around policing in the U.S. I know this keeps happening over and over again. It should not happen again. So bringing it back, I, I want to say, so Mona mentioned in our interview how great it was to work with Jason Mraz because he always creates a warm and supportive space. And this connects directly to something that I want, that I hear frequently from cis white men musicians or those in the music or industry that they like want to make change around gender and diversity. They want to create more inclusive spaces. They want to hire more black, indigenous, people of color, LGBTQ folks, cis women, but they don't really know where to start. And, you know, while hiring workplace culture are perhaps a few steps up on Maslow's hierarchy of needs from the safety that folks should have in uh, their communities, in their lives, The two are definitely related. And this is a real place that folks can actually step in to start to make change. So, of course, like as a cis white woman, I do not have all the answers. I've said this time and time again. And I've been stuck in that cycle of the hiring cycle in the past as well. And I will say it, you know, took concerted intentional effort and it took the support of many women of color for us to get out of that. And It's not easy to do, but I will say it is definitely possible. I believe in you. I believe in you, manufacturers, dealers. You can do it. With that, here are a few tips for you or your company for how to get started. All right, so first, you want to get clear on your values. So like what is your company's mission, your vision, your values? Do these things communicate well to your current employees, your future employees, customers, the world? Do they know what you're really about? 
if these things are important to you, and let's be clear, anti-racism, anti-sexism, anti-homophobia, et cetera, if these are something you care about, you need to communicate them to folks. Um, and that will also uh, be represented in everything else that you do. That's what values are for, right? So they'll help you make decisions around your policies, around your training, around your hiring. Everything that happens in your company is based on your values, right? So it's super important. Number two, you need to start with trust. Trust, as I mentioned in the last episode, in episode 14, trust happens at the individual, employee, coworker level, at the workplace level. And it's super important for folks to be able to have trust in the ability to have complicated, hard, uncomfortable conversations. And if they don't have that, you can't really get any of this work done. So that's super important. Does it mean you might have to have more icebreakers? Maybe. Employee karaoke sessions? Probably. We'll see. But I promise it will be worth it. It really, really will. Three, workplace culture, right? It's, it's a lot of those things that you don't even know that they're happening, right? So like, do people like working for you? Do they like working with, e with each other? How do folks in the workplace communicate? Who takes notes? Who makes decisions? Who cleans the kitchen? Who orders the catering? Right? These are all important questions to think about. How are coworkers similar behaviors treated similarly or differently? And, you know, who's taken seriously? These are all important things to think about. Um, and even though they might seem small, they can have a really big impact. Four, your policies. Your policies really tell the story here. So I'm going to go through just a few uh, examples of how, what this might look like, but they are just one of the ways that you can communicate your values to folks. So, you know, do you have generous parental leave policy? Do you have a flexible work schedule? Does your office have a secure private place for parents to pump? Do you provide bus passes or other transportation support if someone doesn't have a car to get to work? Do you have health coverage, even if it's just a stipend? Do you have support for professional development, tuition reimbursement, gender neutral bathrooms? You know, what happens when someone messes up? Are they just like, do they get the boot? How do you treat them? What's that process look like? So, you know, there's so much I could go on about that. That's this is just a sliver of the ways your your policies can communicate your values. But it makes a big difference for folks who are determining whether or not they want to work with you or whether they'll trust you. Five training. So I do a ton of training and I think about it all the time. But let's be clear, if your values, policies, workplace culture and management do not support this work, all the training in the world probably won't help you very much, right? So it's very important that you can figure out ways to use training that's effective, that folks are on board to do it, and that you have ways that it is being supported continually throughout the year and beyond. Six, audit your hiring process. So who hires buddies when they first start a company? The answer is most people do. The problem with white people doing this is that white people pretty much are only friends with other white people. There is research that shows this. And it's just, it's an ongoing problem. And so you just end up with white people upon white people because then you just keep hiring more and more buddies. And it's its a thing that people do and it's hard to get out of it. It is not impossible. But thinking about some of the ways that this might get kind of manifested in your hiring process is important. So do you list your salary or your pay rate? Do you include educational requirements? Like, do you, does someone have to have bachelors to work there or not? Or is it something they can learn on the job? Do you share these values that you worked so hard to create? Do you encourage people even to apply if they don't fit all the agreement, all the requirements? Uh, I'll say I saw a posting from Reverb recently that did a really good job of communicating this. Do you outreach to the same places everyone else does? Do you cut people based on their language or formatting? You know, there's it could go on and on and on. There are many, many, many things that you can think about here. But, you know, we don't need to just default to what the norm is or default to our buddies because it's easy, which I know is hard to do because people are so busy. But it's it's important to think think about it, to be intentional. It just this stuff doesn't happen by accident, right? Okay, last but not least, marketing. So rep representation is key. I've talked about this here a bunch, and folks on the podcast have talked about this a bunch. 
and I'm not going to belabor it. If you want to hear more about that, you can go back to episode 13 where I talk about the music gear Bechdel test. I do want to reiterate that it is super, super important. And once again, it is a place where your values can shine. You can make sure your representation is there in social media and marketing. Uh, And of course, the Bechdel test that I created focus on women specifically, but representation across identities is crucial. And there's that adage, you know, you can't be what you can't see, or at least I would say it's very hard to be what you can't see. Not impossible, can be done, but it's a challenge. So all of this might seem like a lot, but is really just like the tip of the iceberg for companies. So just something to think about, you know, a lot, a lot there, but I think that folks can take some of these or take little bits of these and get started on them at the very least. And next week, I'll follow up with some specific ideas for things that individuals can do. If you want more people to hear Midriff, please, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. Have I told you that you are the best? Because you're the best. Did you ever know that you're my hero? It's true. All right. Thanks so much for listening. 